Welcome back to the 37 Years Podcast. I'm Mike Dubin with Matt Dubin. How are you doing, Matt? Good to be here. Good to be here. Another edition of the podcast. Another edition of podcast. This is podcast number six, but six is not as big as eight. And eight is how many wins in a row the Knicks have had. This was an unbelievable week with the Knicks. We're going to start with Knicks talk, and then we're going to get into a little Jets QB update, and then a very fun baseball segment where we're going to compare the 23 Mets to the 23 Yankees. But let's start with the rage of New York, the Knicks. Matt, we went to MSG this week. We saw the Nets game. Uh, Some great seats from a longtime friend. Thank you. But what a week it's been for the Knicks. Yeah, the Garden was electric. It was an unbelievable atmosphere. It was great to see. The, it was a sold-out house, 19000 and change at the Garden. Um, it's, it's unbelievable. The Knicks, this is in my lifetime. I remember the 2012-2013 team was exciting. This feels different, though, and there's a lot of you know parallels to the 72-73 teams, some of the earlier teams. So I'm excited. Yesterday's game was super awesome. Uh, not many words can describe this feeling for me right now in my 25 years of life in uh, Knicks fandom. Yeah, the Knicks, so so a few things. Uh, you talk about the Garden. There is nothing better in New York than when the Knicks are good. Yeah. Uh, the, the Garden was rocking, and, and it was a blowout game against the Nets, and the Nets are taking a, a bit of a tumble. Uh, but, but on Monday, they beat the Celtics, and the Celtics are the top team in the East or the one or two team with Milwaukee. The Knicks have been unbelievable they have not lost since josh hart arrived the game we went to brunson what did he have 39 in the first half yeah he dropped he dropped 30 in the first half he added a couple more after the halftime break but he was unguardable in the in that nets game yeah he is um he has become the best free agent signing i think in any sport for new york he has been unbelievable and he just runs the court in the second half he didn't even need to score that much one because it was a blowout game but two he facilitated others uh he is um just become an unbelievable player last night against the heat sort of an uneven game but randall came through in the the big clutch shot at the end and and some of my worry about him has been end of game but but matt what were your thoughts on last night's game it was very interesting. I kind of tabbed this game. I was I was watching, and I was like, this may be a game the Knicks lose. They're on the road. They're kind of backs at their feet. This seems like – it seemed like a game in the past the Knicks would would forgo, and if history was telling ourselves, it's like this has been a good run, but maybe the Knicks need to slow down a bit. But Julius Randle, he got that pass. He kind of fumbled it a little bit, and he hit that shot, the double bang from Mike Breen. It was it was unbelievable, and I haven't seen anything like this from from a Knicks team in a long time. And I think it's that never give up attitude that's something that's that's been apparent with this team all year. And it was it was really icing on top of what's been a, a very sweet uh, run for the Knicks in the last uh, couple weeks. Yeah, the Knicks are the Knicks season has turned into what we thought the Jets season was going to be when they were seven and four. Uh, they. They are now very solidly – they're definitely going to make the playoffs, not the play-in. It's looking like that 4-5 series with Cleveland is going to be where they land. Um, they have a big game tomorrow night against the Celtics, which, you know, in <clears throat> excuse me, in past – 
Knicks teams, we would think this would be like an unwinnable game. But with this Knicks team, anything seems possible. And uh, Matt, Matt I, I know that you are very, very bullish on where the Knicks can land this year. Honestly, I think their their ceiling, I think their floor is that six seed, obviously. I don't think I see them deviating beyond there. I think if things break their way, they could break into that three spot. It's very look, there's only I think there's only 17 games left, 18 games left in the regular season. They're not they're not gonna rise up to the one seed. The Bucs are kind of firmly there. They win every game. It'll be tough. But the Knicks could really surprise some people and win the division. I don't it's not like the most likely scenario, but I wouldn't be like stunned if the Knicks won like 15 in a row and won the division. Uh, but it's it's exciting. And I think for the Knicks, that first round series with Cleveland, I've talked to some of my friends about it. It's looking apparent, but I think that would be a great landing spot for them if they're the four of the five seed as well. Yeah, so the the 2023 Knicks are, are definitely looking like a solid playoff contender, a dangerous team in the playoffs. But this podcast is about when are the Knicks going to win their next championship? That is our, our overriding theme. And if I can go on a little rant here for a moment, last week at Madison Square Garden, on I think, believe it was Saturday night, they had a tribute to the 73 Knicks. And it was really a fabulous tribute. Now, the, 70, the 72-73 Knicks were a championship team, but very different than this 1970 uh, 69-70 Knicks, uh, and this was the 50th anniversary of 73. I think the 73 Knicks were actually the best Knicks team of all time, but it was very different on how it was handled in New York. Um, the, the team won the series in L.A. I think it was in the fifth game uh, of the final series. It was a late-night television event so like back in those days i know it was in la it would be late anyway but they put most of the games on tape delay if you can believe that even in the nba finals uh but but once again it was a great team because they had the core of the 1970 team but they added to the team with acquisitions the two biggest being earl monroe i met earl Earl of Pearl and Jerry Lucas, who was an, an all time great NBA player in his own right. And they were both at the ceremony last week, along with Bill Bradley, Dick Barnett. Willis Reed wasn't there, but he had a message. Phil Jackson, who people don't remember, actually was a key player on the 73 team, not so much on the 70 team because he was injured. And they had the sons of Dave DeBusher and Dean Meminger there, which was great as well. And Clyde, who unbelievably uh, is on every night now, gave a beautiful speech that I think was a really great ceremony. But the 73 team got to be the 73 team because of big acquisitions of Earl Monroe and Jerry Lucas and a few other pieces as well. So we started thinking about this a little bit. And, and we look at this year's Knicks team and you have to have realistic expectations and they are definitely a playoff team. They have definitely exceeded everyone's expectations. We, I feel, and I think, Matt, you feel the same way, they could definitely win a first-round series and be a tough contender in a second-round series. And, you know, depending on how the cards fall, could get into an Eastern Conference Finals. But 
that would be a big leap. So yeah, realistically, it's for the Knicks. If you kind of look through history, you look through time of the formula they're trying to build. Leon Rose is trying to set them up for an acquisition of a superstar. He's done that with picks. He's done that with good right. cap management. He's done that with strategic signings. And they're looking for kind of that next piece to bring them over the top because realistically with balanced teams, you're not besides like that. I think there's an exception like the Pistons and the, the, the early 2000s Pistons and some of the some of these other teams. You're not you're not winning a team with a balanced group of guys or not winning a championship with a balanced group of guys. You're kind of you need a superstar. You need a closer. And the Knicks have some great players, but they need maybe a little bit more to get them over the top, as yeah. you were saying. Yeah, so we spent some time on our, our podcast in, in earlier episodes talking about in-season acquisitions before the trade deadline. And they made a great in-season acquisition, Josh Hart, who, uh, who just adds, I think, a completely different element to the game. But it's not a superstar-level element or game-changing element in the way that some of these others now – they spent the entire offseason um, talking about Donovan Mitchell. Donovan Mitchell ended up in Cleveland. Yep. It probably was a blessing, depending on who they were going to give up. But we put – I have this list, Matt, and we're going to go through this list one by one of here are five potential and maybe even six potential 2023-24 off-season acquisitions that assuming, and we're making a big assumption here, the Knicks season ends up with a nice playoff run, but not a championship, whatever that means, whether that means Eastern Conference Finals, whether that means just a first-round win. But then they would be looking for what is going to bring us to the next level. And I want to preface this by saying this is not a teardown. So the Knicks, totally. are not, the, the Knicks are not looking to tear down. This would be to take the, the, the assets that Mac talked about, the, the draft picks and the, you know, players who maybe aren't in the rotation and have salaries that could match. So we don't have to go through what that would look like, the compensation, because yeah. I think all this is different. But let's go down this list. And I'll start, Matt, and I'll throw out the name of Damian Lillard. Like with Portland being a team that – could be tearing down itself this point. Um, what are your thoughts on Damian Lillard as being someone who the Knicks could get? So Dame, Damian Lillard has been unbelievable for Portland. I mean, he's 32 years old now, Weber State graduate. He has been an ultimate class team guy. He puts the team on his back. He scored 71 like recently. He's just really good. I mean, he's just good at set it, kind of setting the offense, making sure that things are aligned, but he also can get a bucket, shoots threes well. I mean, he... He's shooting from half court half the time, and it all goes in. Damian Lillard is is like a perfect addition, I think, to the Knicks because while he does have a high utilization rate, meaning he's holding the ball for a long time, he does need his touches, he's a guy who makes other people better, and that's been evident throughout his career. Would love Damian Lillard. I think to get him is is one thing, and obviously the salaries and matching and things yeah, like that. Yeah, we don't have but, to go through all that. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. But I think the – Overall, Damian Lillard fit with the Knicks would be a, a winning proposition with Brunson, with Randall kind of form a big three there and then have some of these other guys fill around them. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think he would be a perfect player with the current construction because you're going to also make the assumption, you know, that Randall, uh, Brunson and the rest of the crew, 
at least the rotation crew will be intact. And and we're, we're not going to get into all the trade specifics. He would be a great one. And, you know, it's a possibility because Portland could be in a teardown this year. And he's been there a while. We'll have to see how that plays out. The next one I thought might be interesting, and this depends on which way the Lakers go, because they could also be in a teardown, could be someone like Anthony Davis. What do you think of Anthony Davis on the current Knicks, Matt? So AD is kind of a clunky fit, and I'll give a couple reasons why. His defense is – or his defense is great. He's a great all-around player. He's won a championship, so he has that experience. But he isn't like a prolific three-point shooter. He doesn't spread the floor as much. He's more of an inside back-to-basket type of guy. Uh, he can shoot jump shots. He doesn't – so that's kind of one thing that I would flag is that he's not – the floor spacing might be problematic with Randall and Brunson and some of these other guys – on uh, Robinson, who's more of a true big. And then I think the second reason I would give is the injury history. I mean, he gets injured a yes. lot. Something the Knicks just, you need guys. Like the key to the Knicks this year has been that Randall and Brunson have, you know, knock on wood, have stayed healthy and everybody's been able to play a lot of games. It seems like Anthony Davis misses every other game, no knock on him. And I think the third is it's like he's been in other places and hasn't, when he's kind of had to do carry the load or do like a decent amount, it doesn't seem like it always works. I think in the NBA, you want to lean on the side of guards who can shoot. And sometimes the big men don't help you as much as you think. So that's my yeah. kind of take on that. So I, so I think Anthony Davis would be an interesting player for the Knicks to help bring to the next level. My fear with Anthony Davis is, in reality, you would have to give up like a Mitchell Robinson if you were going to do some kind of trade. And I think he would displace more. And the concern, as you said, Matt, is his injury history – is makes him a little bit suspect. Now, the next big man, which is a similar to Anthony Davis, although plays differently, and I think would actually be a better fit on the Knicks, is Carl Anthony Town. And Matt, I'll start this one. He's been out most of the year for Minnesota, or at least half the year. The reason I think he might be a better fit than someone like Anthony Davis is he doesn't really have a history of injuries the way Anthony Davis does he's he's out a bit and I think the other reason he can stretch the floor a little bit more his game is more suited to the current NBA I think Anthony Davis can stretch the floor a bit but Carl Anthony Town can do it more he's Minnesota even though they got Rudy Gobert and gave up a lot of assets maybe building around Anthony Edwards in the future and I think that if Carl Anthony Towns became available and the price was reasonable, that might be someone interesting for the Knicks. What do you think of that one, Matt? I think Cat's interesting. I think there is a little bit of redundancy with Julius Randle's game in terms that's of how true. they both play. So that's something I would flag. The defense of his is, like, fine. I wouldn't say he's, like, a world-stopping defender. And Dibbs likes his bigs to at least be – like, Randle's passable. Randle's passable, and uh, Mitchell Robinson is a good defender. So it's like – I think Cat might just be a little redundant for the Knicks, and he doesn't fill as many needs as maybe a, a Lillard or some of these other guards, if you may think that. Yeah, no, I, th I think you're right there. I, I do think if they could get him for a reasonable price that didn't break up too much, he could be a nice additive piece that could bring them closer to a championship. But I do think you're right. I would prioritize. Now, I also have on this list, Zion Williamson, but I think he may fall into that injury category also, even though he's college mates with R.J. Barrett. What do you think of Zion, Matt? 
he's he's a bucket getter. He just knows how to score, use his body better than anybody. Uh, he's versatile defensively, offensively. Problem is he just doesn't play a lot. And I think that's the thing the Knicks need is stability. And I think Zion, while he's a talent, doesn't play as much as some of these other guys. And I think that's I love his I love his ability to create. I think he would add a lot to the Knicks, especially with their grit and grind style. I just don't know if he'll play more than 50 games in a season. Yeah, I think that's the concern there with both Anthony Davis and Zion is they just but, don't they just yeah. don't play enough. And that's yeah. that's not what the Knicks need now. But but Dad, ahead. stylistically, the Zion fits the most of any of these guys with the Knicks. I think if you look at the core tenets of what the Knicks have been this year, which is hustle, which is discipline, which is playing hard and being physical. Zion fits well. I just think it's like how much will he actually play? Is yeah. Key. Yeah. No, I, I agree. Now the next on the list is Zach Levine, who they almost got at the trade deadline. But I look at that and I go, that was a nice trade deadline move. Do you think that would be a good offseason move? So, my whole thing with Zach Levine is he's never really been like a winner. I don't, and, and I say this like, you know, re- relatively just like speaking on the podcast, but like Jalen Brunson bringing him in, he won two national championships in college. He was part of a playoff team with Luca and, and kind of carried them when Luca was out with the Mavs. Great addition for the Knicks. Zach Levine is a good player on teams that have been very okay. And I think, and especially in college and coming into Chicago and Chicago, so it kind of gives me pause is, is Zach Levine going to be the team guy the Knicks need? And is he going to be the real addition that gets them to a championship level? Athletically, he's great. He does a lot of different things well. He can score. He can, you know, pass. But he's not – I don't know if character-wise or really if that team element is going to come in and bring them over the top with Zach Levine as opposed to some of these other guys. Yeah, no, I agree. And especially seeing the last 10 games Knicks run with Josh Hart – I don't know that he can play the Knicks gritty style that yeah. they have. And I just – he would have been a convenient addition at the right price if they could have – you know, the, the packages they were talking of, Fournier and Rose and draft picks and maybe Obi, and that would have been a nice carve-out if they could have done that. But I think Zach Levine um, – well, in season might have made sense. I think where the Knicks have been the last 10 games, eight games streak, where they're going, I don't totally make sense. Now, and, go ahead, Matt. Yeah, and just one thing. So to bring it all together, too, it's like you want to bring someone to your team that you know is going to put you over the top. That's Zach right. Levine, to me, is like you're giving up players just for the for the hell of it. You know what I mean? And I think the whole thing with this – Thing is, we want to bring a championship to this team. And to say, if you're Leon Rose and Zach Levine for like five first round picks and you have to give up all your young guys, it's like, well, that may not be worth it as opposed to a guy like Damian Lillard or one of these other dudes. Yeah, who I agree. I agree. Gives that, you over the top. Now, here's the last one on the list I added to our list because I saw this in the newspaper this week. The idea, or I think it may have been on Bill Simmons' podcast, the idea that. If Philadelphia falters and James Harden goes to Houston, they're going to do a teardown and Joel Embiid would become available. I think Philadelphia in a million years would not let Joel Embiid go to the Knicks. So I don't want to even entertain that. What do you think, Matt? He's the heart and soul of that franchise. I don't really see them giving him up realistically. Yeah. I mean, if they're saying that on other things, it's just for like, like whatever. They just want to talk about it. I don't really think that they're going to 
do that. Yeah, I, I don't think that's realistic at all. I do think Philadelphia breaking things up would be realistic, but I think even in that case, they would keep Joel Embiid and put different guys around him. We'll have to see how they play out. So when we look at our names, it seems to me that the, the big names here would be Damian Lillard, maybe Zion, maybe Carl Anthony Towns. What do you think, Matt? Yeah, I think I agree with those three as the three big names, and especially Damian Lillard with some of the connections, maybe to Leon Rose, I think will be interesting to track in the offseason. Yeah, so I think we have a very – so this is now – we're talking a little bit in the future, and we're talking about how the Knicks get to that championship level, but I think we have a lot to be excited for the rest of this season – and I think let's enjoy the game against Boston on Sunday night on ESPN. And, yep. and then the Knicks, I think, play Charlotte and have then a, a big West Coast trip where they play Sacramento, both L.A. teams. And I think they play Portland. So a lot of good Knicks basketball coming up. I think we're just at the beginning of the exciting stuff. But being at the Garden this week and that atmosphere was just an unbelievable experience. Agreed. Agreed. All right. So that's our Knicks section. We're going to take a little break. And when we come back, we're going to give a quick Jets update, which isn't much of an update, but some thoughts on what's going on. And then we're going to talk who is going to be better in 2023, the Mets or the Yankees. So we will be right back. Okay, we are back. And let's talk a little Jets QB update news, and there isn't a ton of news. The chess game continues. We are on call for an emergency podcast when there's actual real news on this, but there, there's the NFL Combine this week. There's still Aaron Rodgers. He's, he hasn't really given direction coming out of his darkness retreat. Derek Carr seems to be having multiple meetings. I think Woody Johnson, the Jets owner, flew down to the flew out to Indianapolis to meet with him. The one piece of what I would call maybe news is Adam Schefter, uh, Schefter on ESPN said that he thinks Aaron Rodgers is either going to be a trade to the Jets or retirement. But we don't have any real feel for this of what's exactly going to happen as I think the conversations go on. Matt, any thoughts on this? Yeah, not really. Honestly, there's Aaron Rodgers is doing his thing. He's taking his time. The, the darkness retreat ended. Haven't heard anything from him. Derek Carr is doing, like you said, is kind of taking his due diligence. Doing, doing his that. college visits. Yeah. Doing his college visits. Um, You know, trying his official official visits as they say. Uh, the NFL, the combine has been very interesting. Um, the, the only, the only real breaking news from there is that Bryce Young is five ten and an eighth. A lot of people were speculating on what his height was going to be. Most of the measurables have been pretty. What was his weight? What did his weight come? His from? weight. So he actually, so as the college resident college expert on this podcast, the, he came in at five ten and an eighth, which ties for the, for the smallest quarterback first round ever. Uh, with Kyler Murray, and he actually came in weighing at 204 pounds, which was three pounds less than Kyler Murray, who came in at 207. So, but it was still over lightest... 200 because I think people were saying he could come in at 195. He yeah, a lot of people. Of... Yeah, yeah, ahead. a lot of people are just joking that he maybe like is the way in. He drank a bunch of water, did something. They don't know how he came in at 204, but he is 204 pounds. So there is some GMs who are kind of you know 
on the on the on the fence about him. But on the flip side, if we're going to talk about another highly touted uh, prospect the Jets could possibly look at, uh, Anthony Richardson came in at 6'4", 244. And okay. for context, uh, Derek Henry is like 6'3", 236. Cam Newton's like 6'4", 2 something. So great measurables by him. He's doing the entire combine. Stroud is probably going to come in pretty tall around 6'3", 200-something. Yeah. Um, so those are possible options for the Jets, but that's kind of the news out of the combine. Nothing yeah, I mean, I saw, one, I saw one thing where they were talking about saying the Jets should draft – uh, the Jets should sign Aaron Rodgers and draft Anthony Richardson as replacement. Not crazy, not crazy, but we'll... the the craziest draft thing I've heard and seen, and this is just I want I don't want to spend too much time on this, but the 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 taking a tight end at thirteen, and the reason I hate that is, and there's a lot of these experts who are like, oh, take Dalton Kincaid at thirteen or Michael Meyer, but the Jets took Jeremy Ruckert last year. You yeah. signed, you have Ozama, you have. Um, who's I forget the other guys sometimes. Um, Conklin, Tyler Conklin. Conklin, Conklin. You don't need four tight ends. You know what I mean? Like you have all these guys yeah, with the boa. No, it's should, like at thirteen, assuming they keep the pick, they should take an offensive tackle. That's yeah. it's, it's so easy. Like that part to me, you need to sign an offensive tackle. Hope guys come back from injury. Take someone. You're going to solidify the line. I think the Rodgers, if, even if he ends up on the Jets, my feeling is there isn't a huge trade market for him, and they could probably give a second round and maybe something next year that has some incentive tied to it based on where they finish. That's a lot of what I've seen is a conditional first in future years and then a second somewhere down the line. I don't think there's a big market for him. Yeah, we will have honest. to see. So we are, we are on call. For an emergency podcast when the Jets QB uh, news breaks. So now we let's are turn. Spring training is open. We, as we talked about last week, we went through the Mets challengers in the National League. So we did a nice comparison of the Mets versus Phillies, Braves, and then also out of division with Padres and Dodgers. When, when we did this, we got a little feedback from some Yankee fans who have been felt a little left out of this discussion. So <laughs> we thought, why don't we do a little comparison and position by position of the 23 Mets and Yankees. And we're going to add a few things at the end to this. It's not just going to be the players. We'll talk about uh, some other elements as well, since our, our certainly our rivals are the Phillies Braves and some of the national league teams, but certainly the Yankees. So let's, I have the rosters out here. Let's just go uh, position by position. So let's start with catcher, and I'm going to keep a tally here. Mets, Navarez, and Nito, and Alvarez is a potential, and the Yankees are still the same crew as last year. Jose Trevino, who I believe made the All-Star team, Higagosha, uh, and then a bunch of others. But if I look at this, I would call it even – no, no one's spectacular here, but Alvarez uh, potential gives the Mets a little leg up here. That's my thought here, Matt. Yeah, I tend, I tend to agree with that. I mean, I think Alvarez has that bat that I think will give him the, the oomph, you know, over some of these other guys on the Yankees. Yeah, so I think the tiebreaker here is, is the, the Alvarez piece. So let's call it 1-0 one, one Mets. Now, first base. It's the Mets have Pete Alonso. The Yankees have Anthony Rizzo. I think if this were 2016, I would give it to the Yankees. But being <laughs> that 
we're in 2023. I think there's no doubt Anthony Rizzo's had a nice career. He's still a decent left-handed hitter. He'll probably do well with the shift being eliminated, but I think that's a solid one for the Mets. Yep. Can't, can't really, not much to say there. Pete's been unbelievable. And I think Rizzo's had, like you said, a great run, but Pete's been unbelievable for the Mets in the last yes. few years. So let's call that a P, the Mets. Second base, um, the Yankees have, you know, and the Yankees rotate some players around, but the primary second baseman is going to be Glaber Torres. You'll see some DJ LeMahieu. The Mets, the primary second baseman is Jeff McNeil. Now, this is maybe not as much of a gap, but I still say the Mets because Jeff McNeil was the batting champion last yeah, year. Yeah, he won the batting title. Glaber Torres has had a bit of an a, a bit of an up and down career. DJ LeMayhu is going to bounce around a little. Uh, so I say Mets. Matt, do you agree? Yeah, I agree. Be on the batting still, title. This is very, very unbiased, but so far it's three nothing Mets. Um, yeah, and I think a lot of it's pretty logical. I mean, in terms of just accolades and overall production. Yeah, I agree. So, in the we're, Yankees are going to win some coming down the line here. Um, so let's go to third base, and we'll come back to shortstop. Third base, the Yankees have Josh Donaldson listed as their primary. I know DJ LeMay who will get in there. This is a close position. The Mets have Escobar. You know, Brett Beatty. Um, I don't like either of these crews that much. I do like the Mets a little better, but I, I could call this a draw and be fine with it. What do you think? Yeah, I might I might lean a little toward the Yankees. It seemed like the Mets were a little unproven at third base sometimes yeah, last but Don, year. I can't, I can't give Josh Donaldson a, a pass here because I don't know what he's going to be. I know they're going to have DJ LeMayhew there, but um, I will call this one a draw. Let's call That's it a fair. Draw. Okay like they do in other sports. Okay. <laughs> now, shortstop is once again where the Mets have an established player, Francisco Lindor. Against, you know, last year the Yankees had Isaiah Kainer-Falefa as the main one. that They had Peraza come up. Now, here's the only thing I will say. Obviously, the Mets are going to win at shortstop, but Anthony Volpe is the prospect for the Yankees. And I think, you know, if we're doing this a year from now, if he pans out, um, that could, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, with Lindor, he's still such a proven all-star and veteran. I would call that for the Mets, but Volpe is definitely one to watch here. Yeah, I tend to agree. And I also think for Lindor, it's just the the career resurgence he had, especially, you know, coming over from the Guardians and then, he had that sort of one year with the Mets where he was a little off. And then last year, I think he really turned it on late, especially later in the season. So Lindor for me is the, the obvious choice. Okay. So now we're at four Mets, zero Yankees and one draw. Okay. Let's go to left field. Now this is another one where it's nothing to be excited about on either side. Mark Hamm is a nice player. Tommy Pham is going to get some platoon work there. But the Yankees did not make any upgrades, and their number one here is still Aaron Hicks, not Aaron Judge, Aaron Hicks. So I tend to give that to the Mets. I just don't like Aaron Hicks, and I think the Yankees needed to make an upgrade there. Yeah, Hicks wasn't too good last year. I mean, there's a, lo a lot of reason for optimism with some of the shift rules and things that maybe for Hicks and some of the things that may come along with that. But in terms of overall production, I think, Canna is a better option than Hicks. Yes, Canna with, with Tommy Pham is a, a backup. Now, once again, um, 
center field at Brandon Nimmo and, you know, and, and some others, but Brandon Nimmo primary Yankees upgraded to Harrison Bader, who's a nice fielder, but he's not Brandon Nimmo. Brandon Nimmo has become one of the premier on base percentage guys in the league. So I'm giving that to the Mets. I, would you agree with that, Matt? Yeah. Nimmo gets on base a lot. He's a good fielder. Can't, and I think Bader's like a fine, you know, yeah. guy at center field, but I don't think he's really mo- returning heads if that's, yeah. you know, okay. So we're now at six, zero, and one draw. But now the Yankees are going to get some. I love Starling Marte and the Mets, but when you're up against Aaron Judge, the Yankees win. The Yankees yeah, win. it's pretty obvious. I mean, Marte is a great player, but Aaron Judge is a beast. He yeah. crushes the ball. Uh, so that's <laughs> a big one for the Yankees. Um, DH, uh, while I like Daniel Vogel back, Giancarlo, <laughs> as long as he's healthy – uh, let's give that to the Yankees. I'm feeling bad for the Yankees. It's 6-2 with one draw now. So Yeah, no resistance there. Okay, so we're good on that. Now, let's look at the starting pitching staffs. This is this is a close one, and and I might – I don't know. So, you know, the Mets, it's Verlander, Scherzer, Senga, Carrasco, and Quintana, and a few others in reserve. But the Yankees have Garrett Cole, Carlos Rodon, Luis Severino, Nestor Cortez as their leads. They have trouble on the fifth. This is a close call, Matt. I don't know. This, yeah. one, this one, Yankees, Rodon is a big addition for the Yankees. Cortez had a great season, Severino. The, the concern I have with the Mets is that Verlander and Scherzer are great, could be injured. Senga... Carrasco, Quintana are not probably as strong as Cortez and Severino. I, so I, uh, this is this is close. This is, to I think if you project this out, Dad, the long term of this ro- both rotations, I think the Yankees have more durability and more just they can go the distance. I think the yeah. Mets are gonna. I think the Mets' first two are great, and then it's kind of like Senga. <laughs> you don't really know what he's gonna do yet, and then Carrasco and Quintana. It's like you know, you know what you're kind of know what you're gonna get. The Yankees have a little bit more depth. I think I'll give it to the Yankees. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll feeling that we're still ahead. Six. This will make it six to three. However, relief pitching with Edwin Diaz and the way that the Mets fortified their bullpen, and the Yankees still listing Clay Holmes as their primary closer and sort of a cast of interesting types. But the Mets fortifying with David Robertson, bringing back out of Vino. And Brooks Raley, who's good. I am going Mets on the bullpen. If we gave the Yankees the starting staff, we'll give the Mets the bullpen. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I agree with that. And I think the cherry on top of it is that Diaz has been the premier closer in baseball. He's the man. He's the man. And so we're now at – we're not finished yet, though. We're now at Mets 7, Yankees 3, and we called third base a draw. So there's still three other categories I want to – get to and maybe even a fourth um the first is the managers and personally i'm not a big aaron boone fan and i think buck is great so that's where i would land here what do you think matt yeah i think historically too buck has taken situations and completely turned them around and aaron boone has come into situations and kind of been the, the catalyst for for teams that have already been pretty good so i give buck a lot of credit for turning around teams that have not been as successful, and he's done that with the Mets clearly. Yes. So I give I give it to Buck. All right. So now we're at eight to three with one draw. The next category is the announcers, and 
once again, um, <clears throat> the Yankees, and I'm, you know, I'm having met John Sterling last week. I have to include that as part of it. However, the Yankees TV broadcast, they're still rotating guys around. And Paul O'Neill, I think, is finally going to start coming to the games after a few years. So I don't think anyone tops Gary, Keith, and Ron personally. And, you know, Harry Rose on the radio, I know he's going to have a new partner this year. So I think that's a, another win for the Mets. Yeah, I, I mean, I met, I met Keith, and, um, Keith and Ron back in the day. I got a ball signed by them. They're, they're great, and I think it's just the continuity and consistency is something for me that's key with the announcers. So I would go Gary Keith and Ron uh, yeah, as my and, three. Yeah, so the Mets win that, so we're now at – they've clinched this, but there's one last important category, Matt, and I'll let you lead on this, ballpark food. Which oh, do we feel this, has better ballpark food? This is – some of my Yankee fr- friends are going to be upset by this, but it's, like, so obvious. that Yankee Stadium, and this is this is my big segment. That my dad's like, we'll throw this in here, but – the Yankee Stadium is like the average ballpark food, like just like whatever. Like I got a chicken finger bucket that was like kind of just like crumpled up. I got hot dog. It, it's just like it's OK. It's like very uninventive. And I'm not like a food snob by any means. But the Mets, you got Shake Shack, you got tacos, you got pizza cupcakes, you got mozzarella sticks. And you have the addition of those old school chicken tenders, hot dogs, pretzels, anything you want. Yeah. So I got to give it to City Field. They really did a good job with the food. And and it's not an underrated aspect of the game experience. I mean, food is a way cultures interact. And I think a way that uh, food is uh, an integral part of the game as well. So I give it to the Mets and not being biased, but just having tried both. That's how I feel. Yeah, I, I, Matt, I'll, I'll not only concur in that. There, there's a few other aspects to the food. City Field has infinitely more choice than what they have at Yankee Stadium. And I'm not talking about the luxury clubs. The luxury club at Yankee Stadium was very nice. I, I, I had a nice experience there. But for the regular fans and the and most of the time when we go, we're going as, you know, just buying tickets and going. Yankee Stadium, if you don't buy food as soon as you walk in and you try and go in the fifth inning, the lines are unmanageable. There's very little choice. And it seems like it's city field. You can go sort of anytime. There's a lot of choice. If you don't want to go out to the shake shack and center field during the game, there's plenty of stuff at all levels of the stadium. I have very mixed results with the access to the food at Yankee stadium. So I'm going to give agree with you, Matt, the Mets get the food. So the Mets have 10, the Yankees have three. And there's one draw, and I guess our conclusion is here. Uh, the Mets are better positioned for the season, but you know what? The Yankees are a good team, and it's. I think we're going to have two good teams uh, in baseball in New York in 2023, and maybe we'll even have a Subway Series, but we're a little far from that. Your th- final thoughts on this, Matt? Yeah, who knows? We could have a Subway Series. Both teams are great, and it'll be an exciting year for, for the Mets and Yankees. All right. So that wraps our episode six. We appreciate all of the feedback and ideas. And we're waiting on pins and needles for the Jets to sign a quarterback and look for an emergency episode when that happens. And uh, it's been great talking with everyone. And we'll talk to you next week. Yep.